Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to the Erin Chamberlick Show. Today is Monday, June 15th, and I'm your host, Erin Chamberlick, holistic nutritionist, coming to you live from Nashville. You can visit my website, getbetterwellness.com, to read some articles and read success stories and find out a little bit more about me. But we are going to jump right into the show today because I do have a great show for you today. Um, For many of you that have been listening, we've been podcasting, we, I, me, myself, and I have been podcasting a series called Getting Back to Basics. And we are taking a break from the series uh, today to bring an interview with a special guest and a great topic related to uh, some common digestive issues and IBS. Um, So for past uh, episodes, you can visit iTunes. Uh, The show is under my name, Erin Chamerlick, and uh, listen to some previous podcasts. And while you're there, please uh, leave... um, a rating or a comment on iTunes. So today, uh, my guest is Dr. Carrie Drizga. Welcome, Dr. Carrie. Hi, Erin. How are you today? Awesome. We're having a fabulous heat wave here in Nashville, but it's sunny and, and lovely. So let me just tell the listeners a bit about you. Um, Dr. Carrie has been on this podcast a couple of times, so that'd be another good reason to go to iTunes and Listen to some shows we've done on uh, a couple shows on fatigue and a show uh, on some basic digestive things. So today we're diving a little bit deeper but because Dr. Carey is um, internationally known as the functional medicine doc. So we want to pick her brain about something uh, called SIBO today. Um, she's been in private practice since 1996 and is the founder of Functional Medicine in Ontario, um, Ottawa, Ontario. And she holds two uh, doctoral degrees, chiropractic, naturopathic medicine, but she's also had training um, from the Kalish uh, Institute, functional medicine, and um, just has a world of clinical experience behind her, as well as um, some books. So Dr. Carey, tell us uh, first, where can listeners find you on social media and the Internet? So I guess the best place for uh, listeners to find me would be at uh, drcurry.com, which would be D-R-C-A-R-R-I.com. And that's where you can find my podcasts and my blogs and Dr. Curry TV and all kinds of great information about functional medicine. Great. And also sign up for Dr. Carey's newsletter, and um, you can follow her on Facebook. And there's some really great information coming from Dr. Carey. So, um, tell us, uh, give us an update on your most recent book and and the the launch of that. I know you've got some uh, freebies to offer to the listeners. Oh, thank you, Erin. Yeah, my book uh, right now is being launched globally during the month of June. Uh, the book is called. Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again, Fixing the Root Cause of Your Fatigue with Natural Treatments. And I found 14 root causes of fatigue. I like to call them the fatigue factors. And in this book, I explain eight out of the 14. And I include my own personal fatigue story along with four other real cases from my private practice so that people can see how functional medicine really works uh, in action. And so because it's my global 
book launch during the month of June, I'm offering a free paperback to your listeners who are interested. They can go to the website www.reclaimyourenergybook.com and they can sign up to get a free actual paperback book. They just have to pay the shipping and handling. And I'm giving away 500 copies and they're going pretty fast. So I would say if you're listening, go to the website as fast as you can to see if you can still get a copy. Great. That's very generous. A lot of times um, people you know, might offer something free, but usually not a real physical book. And I, I have the book, so I, I do highly recommend it for those um, people who heard themselves being described by you. And um, But today we're going to talk about one particular issue that has uh, to do with digestion. And, um, and let, let's kind of just start with irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. Um, and, and what is IBS exactly? So IBS is a compilation of symptoms that patients have. So the reason it's called IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, a syndrome is a, usually a, a compilation of questions that we ask patients and to try and give them this diagnosis because uh, up until recently there were actually no real tests for IBS. And so symptoms of IBS include things like having gas, bloating, um, uncomfortable uh, feeling in your abdomen, even uh, pain in your abdomen. And you could have diarrhea or you could have constipation. A lot of people have a little bit of both going on. That's called mixed IBS. And uh, any of these symptoms also tend to get better when you have a bowel movement. That's the basic um, definition of IBS, and at the same time, all other health, all other diseases are ruled out. Like you don't have ulcerative colitis, you don't have Crohn's. So they've done other tests to rule out other things, and um, that's basically what IBS is. Okay, so um, when we, you know, rule out ulcerative colitis and Crohn's and so you want to get a proper, you know, diagnosis, is, and you kind of said that's based on a questionnaire. Is that the main um, way, or is that is that something we're going to get into? Well, that right now in the in standard healthcare, that is the main way. It's basically we rule out other diseases, and if everything is normal, you know, they'll usually do a colonoscopy. If everything is normal, then they do these. A series of questions. It's called the Rome Three uh, questions for IBS. And if you fit that, um, if you fit that questionnaire, then you're diagnosed as IBS. So that's typically what's happening in standard healthcare right now. But in the functional medicine realm, there are new and emerging tests um, to prove uh, the underlying cause of IBS. So there are there are tests now for IBS. And I, I don't think that will be available in standard healthcare probably for another 17 years because that's about how mm-hmm. long it takes for something in the research world to actually trickle down into an actual doctor's office. But I wanted to talk to your listeners today about some of those tests that are available for IBS. Great. Yeah, and it's frustrating, and that's probably a lot of the folks that come end up coming to you know a nutritionist like myself or to a functional medicine doctor like you 
they've been to standard health care. They've had the colonoscopy and said, oh, you know, you're normal or, yeah, you just have IBS and here's a prescription, but they're not <laughs> helping the people by getting to the root cause. And we don't want to just have a medication and still have our problems. So, um, you know, can we talk, um, we talked about the symptoms. Um, how does SIBO fit into this? And, and can you define what SIBO is, S-I-B-O? Oh, absolutely. So SIBO is, I would say, SIBO is the most common underlying root cause of IBS. I mean, what what I mean by most common underlying cause, like 84% of the time, SIBO is found in IBS patients. And just as you said, most people with IBS, or I should say abdominal digestive complaints, they go to their doctor, they're told they have the testing done, the colonoscopy, everything's normal, you have IBS. That doesn't tell you what what the real cause of the IBS is. So SIBO is finding about 84% of IBS patients, and SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So basically what happens is there's too much bacteria growing in the small intestine. And so how the body is normally supposed to work, normally we should have pretty much no bacteria in the small intestine at all. All the bacteria should be living in the colon or the large intestine. That's where all of the probiotics should be living. And we're in a really exciting time right now in research because there's so much research going on right now about the good bacteria, the probiotics, and how that has such an effect on our health. But SIBO is really interesting because what they find is there's just way too much bacteria growing in the small intestine, and that's part of what's triggering the diarrhea, the constipation, the bloating, gas, uh, feelings of nausea, um, flatulence, um, abdominal pain, and cramping. Um, A lot of people will have IBS but not have any abdominal symptoms either. So there's there's other disorders that I that SIBO um, can contribute to. And what would that look like? I, if you had IBS with no symptoms and SIBO was contributing, what kinds of symptoms would you see possibly? So something like um, chronic fatigue syndrome that that can have mm-hmm. SIBO as a root underlying cause. SIBO can also contribute to um, fibromyalgia and chronic pain, um, actually uh, diabetes. It can contribute to anemia. And actually, that's, I just thought about that. That's a really great hint for your listeners. If you have a longstanding history of especially iron deficiency anemia, despite taking iron supplements, you know, having a really hard time even taking iron supplements to getting your iron stores up, you probably have SIBO. And SIBO can also mm-hmm. cause um, weight loss in in people. You know, <laughs> it's funny. There's a lot of people that actually don't want to lose weight, and they're struggling to gain mm-hmm. weight. You know, they get so underweight. Mm-hmm. That can be SIBO as well. So, I mean, I could I could go on with a whole long list of signs and symptoms, but I would say mm-hmm. if you're a listener out there, and you're struggling with a health problem, and you've been to see the doctors, you've been to see the specialists, you've even been to nutritionists, naturopaths, chiropractors, and whatnot. If you've never been assessed for SIBO, you might have SIBO. 
And and how good is the testing? Um, because I have had some people do the test, and we I just want to know is it you know a test that's fairly accurate? Yeah, so the test is fairly accurate. So the way that we test for SIBO is with a breath test. So it's called either the lactulose breath test or the glucose breath test. So what the person does is for 24 hours before they do their breath test, they need to be on a very strict diet. If they cheat on that diet, their results will not be accurate. So for 24 hours Mm -hmm. before your breath test, you're on a very strict diet. And then the morning of your breath test, you're going to take either the glucose solution or the lactulose solution. You're just going to drink that down. And if you have too much bacteria in your small intestine, the bacteria is going to eat up that glucose or that lactulose solution. It's going to eat it up and make gas out of it, either hydrogen gas or methane gas. And that gas is going to get absorbed into your bloodstream, and you're going to then breathe that out. And so the test itself is you take breath samples every 20 minutes, usually over the course of two or three hours, to kind of map out what's going on in that small intestine as that glucose or lactulose is traveling through the small intestine. So if those levels of gases get um, get above a certain level, that's diagnostic for SIBO. Okay, so is this a test that has to be done in in office, in a doctor's office? Oh, that's a great question. No, actually, there are uh, most labs now offer at-home test kits. So the test great. kit comes with this gadget to breathe into to actually collect air samples. So you could do this from the comfort of your own home. Okay, that's you know a lot of the tests that I you know, how people get they're doing on their own, um, like saliva hormone tests or, you know, even a finger prick test. People don't mind doing that. And um, mm-hmm. and so we can always help people get lab tests done because sometimes if you went to your doctor with all your newfound information here from Dr. Carey, they may have never heard of SIBO and may not believe it exists and definitely not know how to test for it. And even if you give them the name of the test, sometimes you're sent home as you don't need that. So um, what would you recommend if a person wanted to go ahead and order this at-home test kit? Do they need to contact you or or me, or is there a, a direct method? There are a couple of direct methods. There are some labs online that a patient could just, you could just do a Google search for uh, SIBO breath test. And there are a couple of labs online. One is Commonwealth Labs and the other is Quintron uh, Labs. And they both offer SIBO test kits that you can just buy directly from them online. They'll ship the kit directly to your house. You follow the diet. You know, all the instructions are in the kit. You follow the diet uh, for 24 hours do the breath samples, and then mail it back to the lab. And then there are labs that do require a a doctor's prescription as well. So one of the things that we're kind of of lucky, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, and I'm I'm sure you see this as well, Erin, is that although it's good that a lot of labs are selling tests directly to patients, it, it also makes it hard because the patients don't exactly know how to treat themselves after. Right. 
Right. So it would be good to do it um, along with the consultation so you know what to do with the results. And and what do the results look like? Is it a black and white or is it a, a number? Uh, you know, might they be like inconclusive or, you know, what, what can we expect back? So with any test, the 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 key to interpreting a test is to understand what is this test telling me and what is this test not telling me. So that's where when I have a test come across my desk at my my private practice at Functional Medicine Ontario, I put my doctor's hat on, and it's like, okay, what is this test telling me? What is this test not telling me? And what is my patient's history as as well? So although the test will come back with black and white numbers and with a fancy graph, we also have to keep those other things in mind as well. And a lot of times the labs are very are very generous at saying, you know, at the bottom of the test, yes, you, you tested, your test is abnormal and you have SIBO, or no, your test is normal, you do not have SIBO. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So, um, you know, we've jumped really way quickly to testing for SIBO, and I, I'm sure there's, um, a lot of listeners are like, wait, what's SIBO? Can we go over that again? So so your symptoms may or may not be, you know, digestive. You talked about, you know, the bloating and constipation and or diarrhea, um, abdominal pain and, and discomfort. And um, how about acid reflux or heartburn? Might they experience that? Absolutely. So um, I'm just thinking last weekend or the weekend before that, there was – a SIBO symposium um, in Portland that I was a part of. And they said at the symposium, and they had the top-notch experts from around the world speaking on SIBO, they said if you have any digestive symptoms, it could be heartburn, it could be gas, um, it could be reflux or, uh, or GERD or nausea, any kind of abdominal symptoms means you should investigate for SIBO. Okay. Yeah, it's um, you know, the they used to say, you know, if you have anything wrong with you, then remove gluten. And now, now people do that and it's like, okay, I'm still sick. So now what's going on and and there's just so many different layers to this onion, but um, you know, the numbers are huge. As you said in the beginning, you know, if such a large percentage of people who are diagnosed with IBS actually have an underlying uh problem with um too much uh, bacterial overgrowth in their small intestine, then we need to know about that because no amount of you know food elimination uh, is probably going to address that. But um, let's talk about that um, food sensitivities and you know it's kind of a web of you know various things that can be going on. So maybe you do have mm-hmm. a positive test for bacteria in your small intestine. Um, but what about, you know, food sensitivities and, and uh, leaky gut kind of things? How do those uh, come into play with SIBO? Oh, that's a fantastic question. And you're right. So when when patients come in to to see us, you and I, we have to think of all of the different causes of of uh, where the IBS could be coming from or where the symptoms could be coming from. It could definitely be a food sensitivity, something as simple as, gluten sensitivity and there are plenty of people who have removed gluten from their diet and they like have their they have their life back you know like it makes such a difference but then there's 
all of these people that have removed the gluten, they re- removed dairy, they removed grains, they've done everything, and yet they still have symptoms. And these are the people that I think um, should think about being tested for SIBO. So when it comes to food sensitivities and leaky gut, whenever I have a patient in my office with food sensitivity, I, I always think of, you know, purely from a functional medicine standpoint, why are there food sensitivities? There's probably a leaky gut. Okay, so the, why is there a leaky gut? Usually the number one trigger for the leaky gut is an infection. So I know in my practice I'll always, I'll always start looking for an infection first, either SIBO or uh, parasites or yeast overgrowth or something like that. I'll always hunt down the infection first, get rid of that infection, and then after that, the next step is to repair all that damage that that infection was causing in the gut. So effectively repairing the leaky gut. And then once we're done with that, then we can see with a new set of eyes, okay, now what food sensitivities are still hanging around? Because at this point, a lot of food sensitivities get fixed automatically because we're repairing where food sensitivities are typically coming from, which is um, in irritation and leaky gut. So once we get through and we fix all that stuff, if we still have food sensitivities hanging around, those are really the true food sensitivities that the person should really be staying away from. Okay. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, the gut can be repaired and some foods um, can, can come back in, but if you don't do this deeper work of getting rid of infections and impairing, repairing the gut, then um, you, you often back yourself into a corner of like, oh, now it's eggs, now it's, you know, dairy, now it's, you know, I'm allergic to grapefruits or whatever. It's like these things keep compounding because the root causes aren't being addressed and fixed. So how how what's the, you know, length of time that it can take to, let's say you identify SIBO and leaky gut and a person starts to work. I know it's going to vary, but how quickly can somebody start to see results and start to feel better? That's a great question. So just compounding on what you just said about how food sensitivities can really have a snowball effect, I have a couple of patients in my practice right now who can only eat like a handful of foods. You know, they, they're, they've gotten so sensitive to pretty much everything that they basically have like five safe foods at this point. And so those are really tough cases to work with. But, again, it's about mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to really find the root underlying cause and, and help the patient, um, help guide them down the right path to get their health back. So when it comes to, um, to fixing SIBO, um, usually when we do a breath test, we can get a pretty good idea of how bad the infection is. And if the infection is more hydrogen-producing bacteria, that's a lot easier to fix than an infection that's more um, methane-producing bacteria. Those are very, those are very hard to fix. And so usually when we do the breath test, we can get a general idea of how long this is going to take. And so for some some people, it might be a month to fix or two months or three months. It just depends on how bad that infection is. And you, the only way to know how bad it is is to do the test. Okay. Yeah, you know, we didn't get sick, you know, overnight, but we, 
we would love to get well overnight, and you know sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. And you you may feel like you're taking a one step back and two steps forward, but um, that you know can be the way it is, and and you just can't give up. You need to keep working with your um, you know practitioner of finding you know the, what's going to work for you because your situation is different from the next person's situation. Mhm. Yes. Okay, so we um have kind of tackled a big subject, but we wanted to just uh bring to light that you know there there are things that your typical GI doctor may not be considering and um you know you mentioned some other disorders that could be associated with SIBO. Um and and so just because you've been diagnosed with, you know, fibromyalgia or Hashimoto's um, doesn't mean that's the only thing going on in your body that, um, you know, or if you're taking um, acid-lowering medication, you know, how does that play into health of the digestive system? Yeah, and that that's actually a, a good point that you bring up. That's actually a great point that you bring up is that anybody that's on acid, anybody that is on acid, lowering medication or acid blockers, um, the PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, um, that that in and of itself can cause SIBO. So if you've been on a PPI for, you know, longer than three months, you most likely are starting to have a SIBO infection in your gut. So that's one of the, of course, there's a double-edged sword when it comes to taking medications that medications come with side effects, but this is a side effect that most doctors uh, don't don't even know about yet. Right, and um, then the people, you know, their body gets uh, used to having these acid-lowering medications and lower stomach acid is not what God gave us. <laughs> he gave us stomach acid so that we can digest our food and break down our food so then other issues start to develop that um, people aren't connecting to their medication or to their maybe naturally low stomach acid, um, which, you know, you mentioned things like anemia, um, low minerals. And so what 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 do you see when people have low stomach acid? What kind of symptoms do they have besides this um, SIBO? taking root. So so very typically when when people have low stomach acid, they'll tell me um that they're not hungry when they wake up in the morning or they may may feel a little bit nauseous in the morning and so they don't want to eat breakfast. And um I'll also have patients tell me that if they eat a a meal that's really high in protein, like a steak dinner for instance, like they'll tell me it'll just sit it'll just sit. <laughs> it'll just sit in their belly mm-hmm. and just won't move. Um, or they'll be like, we're super tired after that meal. Um, the, the, those are pretty typical s- symptoms of low stomach acid. And oh, and I should say the other one is having heartburn. P- a lot of people have heartburn mm-hmm. not because their stomach acid is too high. A lot of people have heartburn because it's actually too low. Mm. And that just seems counterintuitive, you know. So obviously... Uh, quote unquote, you have uh, heartburn because you have too much acid, but that's really acid is getting somewhere it doesn't belong. <laughs> exactly, yes. And 
And we just don't see people with too much stomach acid. Have you ever seen that somebody actually had too much stomach acid? I do have one patient right now. She's a very interesting case. Um, her her voice has been affected probably for about three years now. Um, she just has this voice that is very hoarse, and uh, the doctors don't know what's going on. She's seen a couple of your nose and throat specialist, so they've looked at her vocal cords and seen like everything's fine. And she and I, we've been working together. She's been such a good patient because she's been really diligent because I was telling her, I'm like, Joanne, I know this is coming from somewhere. It's just going to take time to figure it all out. So mm-hmm. I uh, I had this like 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, waking mm-hmm. up with this. Oh, my gosh, I wonder if she has. I wonder if she actually has too much stomach acid. Yes, if you have too much stomach acid, yeah, yeah, that acid will come up into the throat and it can affect your voice. And it's not very common, Mm -hmm. but it can happen, and that's what happened with her. Wow, yeah. So that's why we need functional medicine doctors because you're thinking about these things in the middle of the night, and. You know, from all your knowledge and um, experience, you know that's it's almost the fun part of the job. I think is is uh, being the detective and figuring things out for people based on what you yes. know about physiology and and yes. um, that's just not what you know. The the system isn't paying our doctors to do that. They're they're like just not being compensated to spend the time to do that thinking. So. Functional medicine is well worth, you know, the effort of finding a good doctor and um, paying whatever, you know, out of pocket because insurance doesn't get it yet, but we just want to get better. And that's, you know, what this show is all about. That's what Dr. Carey is all about. So our, our time is up, Dr. Carey. Is there, is there something that you wanted to say before we close out the show today? No, I just I just want to thank you again for having me on. I love coming on your show, and I love sharing all this information with your listeners so that hopefully they have some more tools and they have some more resources um, so that they can arm themselves and, and uh, get their health get their health back, really. And uh, find Dr. Carey at drcarey, C-A-R-R-I dot com. Do you accept... Um, patients long distance in the states here and do you do phone and Skype? I do do phone and Skype appointments and actually my furthest patient right now is in Cairo, Egypt and we do Skype appointments. It's actually pretty yeah. fun. So that's one of the nice things about technology right now is that you can find a doctor to work with. Even if it's not in your city, there's a doctor out there for you that can help you and so use technology. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Dr. Carey. Um, if, if listeners, if you're ready to make a change happen in your life, please visit um, drcarey.com. Set up a you know a consultation with her. Uh, visit my website, getbetterwellness.com, and tune in to both of our podcasts and continue learning and uh, you know choosing to transform your health with real food and good supplements. Thank you, Dr. Carey. Have a great day. Thank you, Erin. You have a great day, too. Bye-bye.